Well, let's look into the Word of God together today. I'm, I'm so excited about looking at this topic today. The reason I love preaching through books of the Bible, and this is, Mark's a challenge. I've never taken this much chunk at one time before. Mark's got 16 chapters. I don't know how many weeks into it we are, but we're quite a few weeks into it. We're in chapter 1. And so I told Suzanne yesterday, I said, I'm going to have to change something because literally we could be here till Jesus returns and, uh, at the rate we're going. And, um, and so the thing I love about it, and the reason why it really isn't a problem staying in one book, is because as we tape a walk through a book, it takes us to all different topics. And so it forces us to deal with things that sometimes we wouldn't deal with. It forces us to look at things that we love to look at. And, but it gives us an incredible amount of variety. It's not just some guy dreaming up a, a four-point, four-part series that says, let's talk about how to get rich. Or let's talk about how to overcome stress. Now, not that that's necessarily bad, but I'd rather just take God's word and let God tell me what's important. Don't you think that's maybe the best way? Amen? Amen. Amen. Are you awake out there today? Well, today we're going to read a pretty long section of Scripture and uh, from the Gospel of Mark as we've been doing this journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And here's what I want you to do as I'm getting ready to read it. I want you to pay attention as I read it to a theme that runs through this section. I want you just to pay attention. You can read along or you can just listen along. And I want you to pay attention to what is the one theme that runs through this entire um, section of the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Read it all the way to chapter 2, verse 12. It says, And immediately, have you learned yet that the word immediately is over and over and over in the Gospel of Mark? Have you started noticing that? I think he's trying to say that that some things are important. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now they had just been asked to follow Jesus. They had just left their fishing businesses and they're following him and he comes to the house of James and John. Verse 30, Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began to bring to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Simon and his companion searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your, for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Chapter 2. When he had come back to Capernaum seven, several days later, afterwards it was heard that he was home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no room, no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, get my breath at the reading that whole thing. There's a theme that runs through that entire section about just snapshots into the life of Jesus. What's the theme that runs through all that whole entire section. One thing, primarily. It was in, in, every, in every story. Healing. In every one of the stories, in all the things we looked at, the one consistent theme in all of it was that Jesus was healing sick people. That Jesus took the time to heal people who were sick. Every, from, from every kind of disease, from paralytics to, to whatever else might have been there, Jesus was healing people who were sick. And church, that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to think about healing. I want us to think about divine, miraculous healing that comes from God. Now, I've been a Christian. I was thinking about this. I've been a Christian now for just at 30 years. And for those 30 years, I can honestly say with all my heart, I got saved as a, as a, um, just leaving high school. For those 30 years, I have um, honestly invested my energy every day of my life trying to walk with God, trying to read this book and figure it out, going to college and seminaries to, to learn more about God and, and figure out how God works and what He does and what He has to say to His church. And in those 30 years, I've heard a, a whole bunch of different sermons and comments and commentaries and teachings about divine healing. And if I take all those things and I kind of try to shake them all together and, and figure out what's been said over 30 years... I, found that, I find that as I look at what people say about healing, what they say generally seems to fall into two pretty polarized camps, two pretty polarized or, or opposite viewpoints about this topic of healing. And I want to start by talking about those first before we look at the specifics from the text. The first extreme that I generally see in the church world is what I want to call hyperfaith. The hyperfaith teaching says something like this. It says, it teaches that, that all sickness and disease is, is an assault from Satan. So the child of God should speak to the disease in faith, and the sick person will always be covered, will always be healed, will always recover, and that they're to take authority over Satan and his effects, and then they are to confess that they are healed. To confess it regardless of the reality. I don't have a cold, I don't have a cold, I don't have a cold, I am healed. And that's, that's, that's serious, that's the position. To confess what you believe to be the truth, regardless of reality. And if someone's not healed, 
And I've had to deal with the, the fallout of this numbers of times in my life from people being damaged with a hyper view. If somebody's not healed, they're said that they're told that they either didn't have enough faith or they had sin in their life. And they're dismissed. Then there's another side, the other, the other excess. And the other excess is what we would call, or theologians would call, cessationism. Remember here the word cessationist? What's in the heart of the word? Cease. A cessationist is one who believes something ceased. You ever heard the teaching that says that miracles are not for today? Because the miracles stop when the apostles, the big A apostles, the twelve who followed Jesus died. Heard that teaching probably many times. They're cessationists. And this teaching says that sickness and disease are simply part of the human experience due to sin, which by the way is true. Sickness is the result of sin's influence in the world. But they go on to say that since all miracles ceased when the apostles died, which isn't true, Scripture doesn't say that at all, then there aren't miracles of healing anymore today. So the way you handle sickness is that people should simply accept sickness and know that Jesus is walking with them through their hard times and he'll walk with them until they receive, you'll hear this, the ultimate healing, which is new life in heaven. So those are kind of the two extremes. Now here's our question today. Which view is correct? Which view is correct? That God will always heal somebody and if you just have enough faith or the healings aren't for today anymore. And I would say this. Neither view is correct. Neither. Both have some elements of truth in them. But neither is correct because neither is biblically balanced. I want to give you the Fox News version. Fair and balanced. Okay? Some of you like that, some of you hate that. But that's what we want to be, biblically balanced. Here's what we know about healing. Here's what we know. Scripture shows and experience confirms that God is still in the healing business. If you don't believe that, ask, ask my son Brett. And I know some of you heard the story. Who one day as a little boy falls down, breaks his humerus bone right above the elbow. We look at him, he's got two elbows it looks like. Elbow, broken arm, see the x-rays, snapped in two pieces. And the doctors say, oh, he needs surgery, can't fix that with a cast. So they put a splint on his arm. They say, wait till we can see the surgeon. Come back two days later to see the surgeon. And they say, well, we should re-x-ray it because he's been walking around with a splint for two days. And they re-x-ray it and they say, the doctor freaks out and says, this isn't the kid I saw two days ago. Oh, yeah, it is. No, his arm was broken in two places and it's not broken today. And we go, well, okay. (laughs) What happened? The nurse was a Christian. She said, well, doctor, I know their parents are Christians and they prayed for healing. Nonsense, he says. So I said, can I have the x-rays? And they said, for some reason, we can't find them. We had seen them two days earlier, two bones broken. The next day, they just they got rid of them because they couldn't explain the fact that he, was, he had a broken arm that was broken one day and healed the next. Couldn't explain it. You know, I'd ask this in here. How many of you in this room would say you have personally experienced a physical healing or you know someone who has? Let's see your hands. Look around, friends. Look around. Do you think God's still in the healing business? I think he is. Almost every hand went up. But let's look at the other side. Scripture also shows, and experience confirms. Remember, don't, ex- don't ever be afraid to put Scripture up to experience. Because God will prove himself. Scripture shows, and experience confirms, that not everyone is healed. At least in the way we think it ought to be. And I think that's the real issue. 
how we think it ought to go. There's a little verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. You can look it up later if you want. Just jot it down, 2 Timothy 4, 2, that I, I know was put in there by God on purpose. Because it has no sense that he would have really put this in there. It's included, inspired by the Holy Spirit to be included in Scripture. And it's simply a little footnote where the Apostle Paul says this. He says that he left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Miletus is a city. Trophimus is his ministry partner. He says, I left him sick at Miletus. Now, this isn't Mark Larson saying this. I left Suzanne sick at home and came to church today. That's the Apostle Paul. This guy's got the credentials. This, guy's, this guy speaks to guys in the city, and he says, he says, you'll be blind now because of what you did, and they go blind. <laughs> this guy's got some credentials. This is a guy that's experienced every. He was stoned to death, and God raised him from the dead, and he walked away. This guy's been through it. And he says, I left my buddy sick at Miletus, and I went on. I believe it was included in Scripture on purpose by the Holy Spirit. Didn't have to give us that note. We never hear this guy any other time. What a, what a record about him. I was left sick in the city. You know, I don't want to say at least I was healing sick people in the city, but no, he was left sick in the city. The Holy Spirit left it in there on purpose. The Apostle Paul in another section of Scripture talks about a time that it says he had a thorn in the flesh. It doesn't define what a thorn is, but it's a thorn in the flesh. And he says he had something that was a tempter, something that was a, a, a bothersome thing in his flesh. And he asked God, it says, three times to take it away. And he said, the Lord said to him, no, I will not. And you know why it says God said no? He said, because I'm going to keep you humble. Basically saying, I'm using you in such a great degree that I'm going to keep you humble so you remember it's not all about you. And you keep you dependent on God. A lot of experts think it had something to do with his eyes because he talked about um, in another section where he wishes, something, the, the church wished they could have given them his eyes. They could have given him their eyes. So they believe that thorn in the flesh was probably some kind of optical vision problem. And he says that God said no. God had a purpose in saying no though. See, we all know people who love the Lord or loved the Lord who have been prayed for many times by by men and women who love the Lord and have seen healings before, but that person isn't healed or hasn't been healed yet. So the question is, what's the truth about healing from the Scriptures? Well, from the text that we read today, the reason I read such a large, large section today, woven into those stories, I see some details that give us insight about healing. But I want you to understand before we look at the details, I don't fully claim to know how and why God heals. And I would say this, Anyone who says they have it all figured out isn't being honest with themselves or other people. Because we see two sides. Anybody who says they have it all figured out, matter of fact, who's ever heard of Youngie Cho? Pastor of the largest church on the planet. Somebody's a God guy. Matter of fact, you know how we give money to Speed Light? I mean, BGMC? Some of the first money ever given to BGMC in the history of BGMC, boys and girls, missionary, what do they call it now? To challenge, thank you, not crusade, challenge, was given to him to buy him a bicycle as a brand new pastor who had never, who had never did, it was an unknown guy named Youngie Chill. They, gave him, they bought him a bike and somebody's got world missions money. Pastors a church of over a million. And a thing, a, a, a great uh, a worldwide uh, celebration in 2000 called Celebration 2000, 
Young E. Cho was talking about healing, and I heard him say this on tape. I didn't, I wasn't there. He said, anybody who says they have healing figured out scares me. Now, here's a guy whose entire ministry has been based on the miraculous. And he says, anybody who claims they have healing um, figured out scares me. Well, guess what? I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I'm not going to claim that we're going to somehow figure things out, but I think we're going to come to conclusions today that make us rest in the truth of Scripture. And I feel very confident in what God has to say about healing in Scripture. So let's come to some solid understanding about healing as we look at, the, as we look at some of the things woven into the text today. Let's look at three things that we know for sure about healing that will set the course for how we heal. And we're going to end our service by then praying for people who need to be healed. First thing we understand from our text is that healing is tied to prayer. Healing is tied to prayer. God wants us to ask for healing. Look at, turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1. We find verse 35, sandwiched in between two occurrences where Jesus healed many people. The verses just before is this big clump where Jesus heals people. Then we have verse 35, and then we have this big clump of where Jesus heals people. Well, I believe God put this text in there, verse 35, absolutely on purpose to teach us something. Look what it says in verse 35, after Jesus just healed a bunch of people, and he's going to heal a bunch of people the next day. It says in verse 35, Then early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, and he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. It's not an accident that God put that in the middle of a bunch of stories about healing. One thing we see from all the scriptures, and we're going to look at some more in a minute, is that healing is tied to prayer. And I would say this is the key to healing. Having our vertical relationship, a relationship with God healthy, being connected, so that we can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the key to it. So we can hear the voice of the Spirit clearly. We can know when the Spirit of God is saying what He wants to do. When He wants to distribute a gift of healing. Having a vertical relationship healthy, and then asking for healing is definitely a part of the picture. Hear this. Jesus was a man of prayer before he was a man of healing. Jesus was a man of prayer before he was a man of healing. Grab your Bibles and turn over to the book of James with me. Go to the place that's the best exhortation probably in the scripture about how Christians ought to approach healing. Book of James, near the end of your New Testament, just before Peter, right after Hebrews... James chapter 5, the last chapter of the book. I'll give you a second to find it. Because you want to, if you don't have this one underlined or circled, you need to do it. Because it talks about healing in the church. Chapter 5, verse 13 says this, book of James. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He's right into the church. He says sickness is going to exist in the church. Is that what he's saying right there? Is anybody sick? He accepts, accepts it as normal. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil represents the Holy Spirit's presence. That's why we do it. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced rain. 
its fruit. Notice something with me from the book of James here. Seven times Jesus uses the word pray or prayer in relationship to healing. And earlier in the book of James, in the fourth chapter, second verse, he says this, related to this. He says, you, ha- you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. You don't have because you don't ask. You see, for one to be healed, it starts by asking God for it. And the question is, why? Why do we have to ask for it? I think there's a very simple explanation. It's because of this. Prayer, asking, reveals submission and dependence. That's what asking God for something does. If my kids have to come and ask me for something, it reveals that they understand that I have it and they don't, and it reveals dependence. It reveals submission. Prayer reveals an understanding that we can't do it, but God can. It puts things in a right relationship with God where He belongs at the top of the pyramid. It says, God, we're coming to you. You're the only one who can. See, friends, you've got to understand something about healing. And this is something, especially in the charismatic side of this church world continuum, that we need to get. God is the healer. Not the TV preacher. Not the pastor that you think is Mr. Wonderful. Not the traveling evangelist. That's not the healer. God is the healer. And we must go to Him for healing. Now, some would reason this way. They would say, well, if God knows everything, and we know that He does, and if He wants to heal me, well, then He can just heal me. Why should I possibly have to ask? The answer to that is simple. Because Scripture says you need to ask. Why? Because God said that you should ask. In the book of Luke, it's interesting, Jesus, by the Spirit, teaches a thing that's included by the Spirit in in the Scriptures, includes a a parable that He teaches that, that we title the persistent widow. And in that parable, there's one objection, uh, one objective, rather, to the entire teaching. He says this at the end, I'm trying to teach you that when you pray, you need to pray and keep on praying and don't give up. It's a story about a widow who, who couldn't find justice and she kept going to a judge and asking for justice and he kept ignoring her. And finally it says this, he got so tired of her that he gave her what she wanted. And he said, how much more if you ask God, won't he give you what you want? But you must ask and keep on asking. Scripture says that we need to pray. We need to ask. Healing is tied to prayer. Friends, when you ask in prayer, hear me today, it creates the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to give the gift of healing in response to our asking in faith. That's why we ask. We put things in the right order. God, you're the only one. And then he creates an opportunity as we ask for the Holy Spirit to then distribute a gift of healing into that situation as we ask in faith. So we ask. We pray for healing. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. We ask. But second thing about healing that we know for sure is this. That healing is tied to the nature of God. Go back to the book of Mark. The long section that we read. Mark chapter 1. Verses 40 and 41, also included by the Lord on purpose. It says, and the leper came to Jesus. You know what a leper is? Somebody with leprosy, a sickness, a disease that causes um, your, basically your nerves to die in your body. So, you're, so you injure yourself and you get sores all over and eventually your fingers and toes fall off. You feel no pain so you, 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 you get cut and not know it and eventually you just basically rot on your skeleton. It's horrible. It says, and a leper, someone with that condition, came to Jesus. 
beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Friends, Jesus was moved with compassion and willing to heal. And when we look at the nature of Jesus, we see a heart of compassion. He loves us, he created us, and he cares for us. It's because of his nature that he heals. It's because he cares that he heals. God is willing to heal because he has a heart of compassion for us. Do something with me this morning. This is hard for some of you. Say, God loves me. Say that. God loves me. Say it. Say, God cares about me. You know he does? He's a heart of compassion for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's not forgotten about you. Now, friends, understand, I can't explain why one person is healed and another person isn't. I can't answer that because I'm not God. But this I know for certain, based on God's word, based on his character, based on his nature, I know this for certain. God does not love one person more than another. He has compassion on all people. And based on that nature, I must conclude that he always does what's best for the people that he loves in response to their prayer. Because it's his nature. He can't change his nature. Admittedly, this is a hard thing to understand at times. But, we, but when we really know that he does love us, that he has the great, great compassion for us, then we can rest in the arms of his love, trusting him to do what is best when we ask. You know, you don't need to question whether or not Jesus loves you. He does. He proved it on the cross. He died to pay for your sins. That's love. So surely we can trust him to do what's best regarding healing. Amen? Amen? So we have to ask first. We understand it's his nature to respond in faith. I would respond by healing. And number three, the last thing is this. Healing is tied to faith. Look at chapter 2 of Mark. Verse 5. This is a story about those, those men who dropped the paralytic through the ceiling. And it says, And Jesus... Seeing their faith, remember they had dug a hole in the ceiling and dropped this guy down. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. Now this is where the, the one extreme camp, the hyper-faith camp, wants to chime in and say, Just believe and you will receive. You know, if you just believe hard enough, if you just somehow mentally eliminate doubt from your mind, that you'll be, you'll be healed. Well, church, I just simply say that's not, that's not that simple. It's not that simple. First of all, it's not that simple because Scripture reveals that people of all faith levels were healed. Did you know that? People of all faith levels were healed. Remember the story of the centurion servant? Centurion was a man who was a, a military leader, and he comes to Jesus one day, and he says, Jesus, my servant is sick. And if you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. And Jesus said, I'll go with you. And he goes, no, 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 you don't need to go with me. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus was shocked. He said, really? You'd have that much faith that you just say it'll be done and you trust it'll be done? And Jesus says to the people, first of all, he heals the servant who's not even there. And he says to the people around, I've never seen this great faith in anybody else in all of Jerusalem. He said, this guy's got incredible faith. Huge faith in his servant's healed. But scripture also tells the story of a demon-possessed boy 
who was healed when his father admitted that he lacked faith, that he had unbelief. Turn in your Bible to Matthew or to Mark rather, chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. Kind of story that gives me hope. Verse 20, it says, And they brought the boy to him, him is Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions, and, the, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From his childhood. It has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, this is honesty, friends, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And it happened. Look what the father said. An honest statement. He didn't have to pretend something. He didn't have to try to convince himself of something that wasn't real. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's saying, I don't have a whole lot of faith. So we see people healed who had great faith and people healed who had little faith. And you say, well, what's, what's it mean? How do we figure it out? Friends, here's the key. The key is that these people placed their faith. They placed their trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God as their healer. They chose to turn to Jesus and to trust in Him and Him alone. And friends, when it comes to healing, that's what we must do also. We have faith that our compassionate Lord always does what is right and best when we turn to Him in prayer. And that's how faith is tied to healing. It's not about having the mental ability to convince yourself that something will happen and calling that faith. It's about faith in God Himself. It's a trust, it's a dependence on Him knowing that I can 100% put my life into His hands. And as I tr ask Him to do something, I know He will respond in the best possible way. It's knowing and trusting the Lord and believing that when He hears me when I pray, He always hears me when I pray, and He will always answer in the best way. That's faith in God. You see, the four men in the story who dropped the guy through the roof revealed where their faith lied. He revealed where their faith lied. They would stop at nothing until they got to Jesus. And they knew that he was the healer. And they put their faith in him. They said, we don't just want some teacher. We want that guy. And they tore the roof off the house and said, we need Jesus. That's what faith is all about. Faith in Jesus. Not in a system. Not in a person. Faith in Jesus confidence that he'll always act according to his nature. Confidence that every single time you pray, he does hear and he does act. Even if we can't figure out how come things are working out in a certain way, I have confidence, you need to have confidence that he is acting and he is working because he's got an ultimate plan to bring goodness and salvation and establishment of his kingdom to this earth in this short time that we have while we live. So with faith in Jesus as our loving Lord, we call out to Him for healing. We do what James says. We confess our sins. Because Scripture does say sometimes you're sick because you got sin. We confess our sins. We say, God, I, I've got sin. I, I, the Spirit of the Lord brings it to me. God, I confess that. Forgive me from it. And we trust that He will do 
what is best. Let's wrap this thing up this morning. James 5 says to pray for the sick and they will be restored. Mark 16, 18, a verse we looked at two weeks ago, said lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Healing is for today. Healing is a vital vital part of the gospel message. And Jesus preached and healed and he says that we should go and do likewise. Friends, I challenge you with something today as we close. I challenge you to pray first and to see the doctor second. I challenge you to pray first and see the doctor second. I challenge you to put your what you say you believe about this word into practice. I challenge you to pray for your sick friends, to pray for your sick neighbors, pray for your sick co-workers. And I'm not just saying, say, oh, I'm praying for you. I'm saying that you say to them, can I pray for you and with you? When they say yes and you grab them by the hands and you say, oh God, in the name. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16, we pray in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I ask you, God, to heal my friend. God, you're a compassionate God, and I know when we pray, you hear me, and I know you're a healer, and I pray in Jesus' name, God, touch my brother, touch my sister, touch my friend, touch my co-worker, and bring healing into their body and into their life. And friends, I promise you something. God will respond to that kind of obedient faith, and people will be healed. People will be healed. You know why he heals people? It's not just take away pain, it's compassion. He does do that. But you know why he heals people? It says he caused healing, attesting miracles. In other words, things that attest to or prove or validate the gospel message. He loves to heal because then people understand that he really is who he says he is. He's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. And he validates it as his heart of compassion comes and heals people in response to our prayers. I know God responds to that kind of prayer, obedience, and faith. Do you need a healing today? Do you need a healing today? Friends, God is still in the healing business. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to obey Scripture. And to come to the elders of the church and be anointed with oil according to the word of God and be prayed for. And I believe this. As, I, as we pray, God will answer. I absolutely believe it. Because it's based on his nature. It's based on his word. But before we do that today in closing, maybe you're here today. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here many times. And you realize something about your own life you realize that you really need the ultimate touch from God. You know that you are separated from God. No one has to convince you of it. You know you're not walking in a right relationship with God. You understand that. And something inside of you is saying to you that you need God. Friends, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within you, God's Spirit is calling out to, to your spirit and saying... I want you. And I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. Would you just bow your head with me this morning in prayer?